welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and today, returning to the show, is Georgie Oldfield, a physiotherapist in the UK who has developed a pioneering approach into the treatment of chronic pain that is evidence-based, educational, and focused on self-empowerment. Welcome. Hi, Georgie. Um, Georgie was on our first podcast in last week, and she is a physical therapist who's done remarkable work in England and really started a whole movement there that's now spread around a lot of the country, also into Europe, where she understood the whole concept of the mind-body being connected, how healing the whole person, listening, feeling. What she did, which I'm just totally impressed with, which takes a lot of work, she started a company called SIRPA, S-I-R-P-A, and it stands for Stress Illness Recovery Practitioners Association. And she is just committed to not only helping patients, but also um, spreading the word and teaching people how to do this. So Georgie, welcome back. And uh, your story is inspiring. I just wanted to start with Georgie's held two international conferences in London, took a lot of work to organize them. They both went extremely well. And the value of the conference is there must have been 10 major players in this field that came together in one spot. How did you decide to do that? Because I'd attended quite a few conferences in America, and I realized that in order to raise awareness over here, we needed to uh, set up something, uh, a big conference over here, um, which is why we set it up at the um, Wimple Street, which is the home of the Royal Society of Medicine. We wanted right. it to be accepted uh, by the medical world as well. And right back in 2009, I remember Dave Clark and um, Howard Schubert saying to me, if you need any help anytime, you just let me know. And so they, I thought, right, okay, I will just put it out there and see if they would be happy to come over and support us. Um, and of course they did. And then by then I think we were in touch as well and you agreed to come over. So we brought over the, the main players in America um, as well as trying to get some interest over here. And we had a couple of patients, didn't we? Recovered patients. Um, and it was about raising awareness as much as we could over this side of the Atlantic, really. Um, well, then we raised awareness. I think that one of the, I know there's some leaders in Britain who were less than enthusiastic about the whole approach. And I think they had a very nice experience. And I was impressed with their range of speakers gave really sustained, clear ideas about what's going on. And it's hard to argue with. I mean, what I, for me personally, it was just hearing all those speakers in one room was very powerful. Yes. Like I said in the first podcast, I mean, the science is on our side. The science is not a medicine side. Mm-hmm. And so the science is, is our side of safety versus threat and about, <clears throat> about teaching people to take care of themselves. And it's consistent. So I just want to, um, again, from that conference, I think you said the first one, there was a psychiatrist there who told one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard. And he wasn't he was not really particularly a quote believer when he first started to work with you. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I think it's probably fair. <laughs> I think his wife persuaded him to come and see me initially. Right, right. <laughs> so I think he was, he'd, she found, I think she found out about Dr. Sama initially, 
and he wasn't ready for it at that point. Um, he'd been suffering from chronic back pain for a long time and it was getting a lot worse. Uh, and then I think it was over Easter one year when his pain just escalated and his wife was saying, you know, look what's happening. And put the two and two together and realised that it was escalating because it was heading towards Easter and then he suddenly realised all the shops had shut and he suddenly realised he had no more med. He would have run out of medication. So that fear that he didn't have the medication to at least help him cope um, meant that actually the pain just escalated. So very quickly after that, he, is, he booked an appointment to at least come and find out more. I just want to stop just for a second, just to reiterate one sentence is that when you say fear, people think mm -hmm. psychological. Right. Fear is the body's response to a threat. So it's actually inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So that creates physical symptoms. So the pain is not psychological, it's not imaginary. You have an inflammatory process, which increases the speed of nerve conduction and you hurt more. So then, so he's under, so I'm going to say the word, um, his body's in, in, in an inflammatory response, then he comes, sees you. What happens next? So initially it's about examining him. Um, so, I mean, now most of my work's online, at that, I, but I do have a clinic. Uh, and certainly he came over, he came to visit, I assessed him, physically examined him as I would, normally would a, a phys, as a physio, I'd physically examine him, ask him about his history, his medication, um, etc. And, uh, and then began to help him question why his pain had come on. Um, and I can't remember clearly exactly what had happened, but I don't believe he'd had any, um, any injury at all, but he had had a scan saying that there was a prolapsed disc. So it was right. about question, getting him to question why the pain was worse, for example, over Easter, when the pain had come on, what had been going on in his life, um, and then um, explaining the concept and helping him start to look at how maybe some uh, issues in his past might be relevant as well. Um, and so it's really about explaining and getting him to be show some interest, first of all. Um, not to believe at that point, but just to actually be inquiring and ready to actually look at it and move forward. Um, I, I, I've also learned that there's a big difference between, quote, belief and understanding. Mm -hmm. So you don't yeah. have to believe. I always tell people, look, just you don't have to believe one word I'm saying. If this doesn't sound right to you, that's fine. Embrace <laughs> it. So at least take the time to understand what I'm saying. And then you yes. can, again, make up your own mind. So. So he was definitely skeptical. So when you started to present to him, talk to him, what was your general treatment approach over the next few months with him? Well, it was over a period of a few weeks, I think, for him, maybe uh, six to eight weeks. Um, he was very in intellectualizing everything, overanalyzing right. things, and so right. that because he's a doctor. Um, <laughs> and uh, therefore, it, it was a lot of actually teaching him to... Uh, Come out of his head to self soothe, to do some. I mean, the way I worked then was very different from how I work now. Um, he did do some journaling, so journaling as far as, for example, things like writing unsent letters to people from the past, and then rationalising things, looking what he'd learned from it. How how's he grown from that moving forward? Um, he uh, as well as doing some of the self soothing um, things as well. And as he began to see a change that then reinforces it and then gives them that uh, ability to move forward so by the time he finished with me he was on his notes he was 70 percent better um and then i made some other recommendations so that over the next few weeks he continued to um 
result and cover. Right. Because he, when he talked at the conference, I mean, he was on fire. He was so excited about, he was so trapped by pain and mm -hmm. he was burned out clearly. And yeah. he was just back to normal. More than mm -hmm. back to normal, he was very energized. So it was a very inspiring Absolutely. story. Absolutely. Right. And I think that's what's so lovely. This isn't, this isn't an approach to get rid of people's pain. And I will often say that because the harder you try, the more you focus on the pain or try to get rid of it, the more you create resistance to being able to move forward. Right. Um, and I often say this is about, this is like a personal development program. It's about understanding ourselves better and how we're triggered, why we're triggered and how we can self-soothe, how we can create more of a balance and calm down the fight or flight and any inflammation. Um, can you spend a couple of minutes on the self-soothe concept, which you've mentioned a couple of times? Mm -hmm. what, so again, I've learned a, lot, learned a lot this last year. And again, for a surgeon, self-soothing makes no sense. <laughs> right. we just want to just give us something to fix and we're going to fix it so the thing about self-soothing is that as you calm down it changes the stimulation to the vagus nerve mm -hmm. which is parasympathetic which actually knocks down the inflammatory response so you're directly affecting your body's neurochemistry i'm just curious what are some of the self-soothing approaches that you take in general well, the first one that I would do anyway, encourage people to learn is, is uh, I use heart math breathing. So slow are, are breathing, you what? Heart math breathing. So the heart math breath. So this is about looking at heart coherence. So slow rhythmic breathing. So not just deep breathing, but slow rhythmic breathing, calming the breathing down to five or six breaths a minute, but bringing your attention to your heart and imagining okay. the air going in and out of the heart. Because that also takes your attention away from your head and your thoughts, okay. as well as calming and stimulating the vagus nerve and calming things down. So, so let me just let me just be really clear, because I can tell you my wife's gonna want me to learn this. So you, my attention's on my heart, and yeah. I breathe. I just breathe in deeply. The way you we say, teach it, the way Hartman teach it, is that you imagine there's a big hole in the front of your heart, okay. and you imagine the air going around your heart and out again. And then okay. just each time you breathe in, the air goes around your heart. And as you breathe out, it circulates around your heart and goes out. Okay. As you're breathing in, you're allowing your belly to come away from your backbone. And as you breathe out, your belly toughens down again. And then right. gradually, you're encouraging them to just slow the breathing right down. I usually encourage them initially to close their eyes because then they're removing any uh, sensation from outside that might be triggering them so just to really calm themselves down by slowing their breathing right down and the evidence shows that you then then calms the heart down it calms blood pressure down and it's just a really quick easy go-to once people have learned it because many people find it really challenging to begin with that right way. and you're, you're breathing less than 10 breaths per minute or less than five per minute or how slowly are the average is around about 12 to 14 breaths per minute oh it is um, okay in the western world which is too fast Okay. And that's showing me in fight or flight. So this is bringing them down to five or six breaths a minute. Okay. So I would normally count to, say, five. Counting to five as you breathe, they breathe in, slow count of five as they breathe out. So as you gradually, they calm themselves down. Another okay. thing that HeartMath would include is at the end, once they've really got that, another thing they can add in if they want is to imagine um, somebody they love, unconditional love, um, in either something or something that they do that they love. So they bring to mind um, a feeling of love and compassion. Okay. So they then allow themselves to feel that emotion. 
because that okay. then increases that self-soothing. And you can't be angry or scared if you're feeling love and compassion. Right. Right. No, and again, this stimulates the... Are you familiar with Dr. Stephen Porges, the polyvagal theory? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so maybe obviously yes. sound like yeah, yeah. And I know, I know it's <clears throat> 2 o'clock in the morning your time, but you know, every Wednesday now we have Dr. Porges in a, in a think tank group where there's about right. um, 25 to 30 different physicians and physical therapists and psychologists in this group talking to him. Mm-hmm. And he's just really <clears throat> remarkable. He, he puts the nervous system in terms of one nervous system. You have the central nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, the spinal cord, and the peripheral nerves. And his point is, it's just one nervous system. I mean, why do we break it up into these parts? Because they all interact with each other. And then I'm going to say something that you may not particularly agree with, but you'll understand where I'm coming from. Um, I don't like the word mind-body syndrome anymore because mm-hmm. it implies a separation. And they simply cannot exist one without the other. You, you can't have a body function without the nervous system controlling things. Of course, the nervous system can't exist without the body to support it. So it's just a unit, just a yeah. unit response. And the idea that you just talk about all these different, you know, calming things down, again, you're changing the whole responsiveness of this human organism to the environment. And as you teach people tools to calm themselves down, it gives them a sense of control, which allows them to feel safe. Absolutely. Yes. And so that's what the tools do. And that's what I love about your program. And you were well ahead of me on this one. I didn't really learn about this even at all until I heard a Dr. Schubner lecture in 2009. We started describing all these physical symptoms that come from sustained threat. And it was funny because Howard was, give, Howard was giving the talk and my wife, Bab, started poking me in the ribs. And then she <laughs> went up and asked Howard, she goes, I have this friend of mine who has like all these physical symptoms. And he looks at her and goes, you mean your husband? <laughs> So that was, um, I honestly did not know anything about all these, the connection between the mental input and creation of physical symptoms until I heard Howard's lecture. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so I'm curious now, again, what I'm fascinated by is that you put together two conferences and we're supposed to have one, was it this year, right now, we're, we're supposed this to be year, in England? A few weeks ago. Right. Mm-hmm. So we had one scheduled again this year, we we're all headed back, headed back over again. And so I'm curious that I felt like at least the second one for sure seemed to make a significant impact on people in the room. And you feel that your, con- I want to say your concepts, the group feels that these are universal concepts and, and medicine itself has really lost its soul. So this is actually what real medicine actually is, is healing, allowing the patient to heal themselves. Yes. Yeah. And so I, you know, as you know, I quit my practice to do this because I think medicine is so out of control, it's become predatory. So these techniques are not very hard. They are consistent. And I'm going to ask you a question that you may not know the answer to. So I realize there's obstacles to people coming in to see you. People don't believe this, they don't believe that. But once people come into your system and start working with you and, and engage in the tools, what percent of those people get better? That's... And that's difficult because most of the people who come to me already know about the concept these days. At the beginning, they didn't. Um, When I did do a retrospective pilot study, there was about a 70% success rate of people who were more than 80% better in well-being, pain, and and pain. Um, And sorry, you you said 80%? 70%. Sorry, I'm lying. 82.4% success rate, which the, the success rate by 
what I mean is when we included wellness, how um, then well-being, how well they were feeling, pain right. levels and activity levels, 82.4% right. of them were over 80% um, better. Right. According to their scores, but it was subjective. And what happens in the medical world is that chronic pain is considered unsolvable. You yeah. just have to manage it. The data shows out of Boston that only 20% of physicians are comfortable managing chronic pain, less than 1% enjoy it. And Absolutely, you and I yes. love it. We have, I yeah. mean, to take somebody who has no hope and give them back their lives and, help, and, and watch mm. them thrive is an incredible experience. Mm. So that's, again, that's what I really want to applaud you for is that you put, put things in action, you've collected data, you've trained other people. And what is the next five years look like for you as far as I, I know I think we talked about it in the, in the prior podcast. You, you, have, you must have about 200 people that you've trained around Europe mm -hmm. the, to do these type of concepts. And you feel like it's becoming more accepted in general. That's amongst physical therapists, psychologists, and physicians. Yes. I think the fact that I've been invited to speak to um, large groups of physiotherapists, osteopaths, chiropractors in the last two or three years that would never have happened in 2007 or for a few years after that. Right. Uh, I think that's shown that there is more awareness. And certainly we had some top UK doctors in the, at the conferences. And right. like you said, sitting listening to all those people in that room meant that their whole understanding <clears throat> changed. They were far more on board, which is lovely, but it's still going to take time. I mean, the obvious situation is where you hear the data and the science behind what we're doing. It is hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of research papers that document what we're doing at the basic neurophysiological level is correct. They have no data. There is no data that says what they're doing works, right? The data says it doesn't work. So that's what I'm saying when I call, talk about mainstream medicine. This is medicine. What they're doing, I'm not sure what they are doing, but it's not medicine. So that's where this whole idea of complementary medicine to me is a very untoward term. I don't like that. I don't like the word integrated medicine either because that's what medicine's supposed to be. So there's someone saying, yes. well, integrated medicine is some, something different. Actually, integrated medicine is the standard of care. That's what the data says to do. There's a paper, yes. out, of, paper out of Baltimore in 2014 that showed that only 10% of surgeons were acknowledging the known risk factors for poor outcomes before they did the surgery. Only 10% were addressing that. That's, wow. not, that's not even acknowledging your own data. Mm. So our data is there. Medicine right now is categorically ignoring it. And so what you are doing, and what this group of people are doing that we work with is honoring the data. This is mainstream medicine. Yes. And, and the nice thing is the bigger the group, the more people we have involved, the more interest there is. So it's right. not just me as it was right at the beginning. There's right. a whole group of us now working towards this and also recovered patients who have become ambassadors for this work as well. Right. And the next, you asked what was happening over the next five years. Certainly one of the things that's happening is that we are setting up a charity um, aligned with uh, SERPA. And this is some of the... Uh, I'm sorry, you're setting, I, I missed that. You're setting up what now? We're setting up a charity. Oh, charity. That's aligned to SERPA, so that SERPA will support as well. And okay. this is being set up from, yes, I'm involved, but actually it's primarily being set up by people who have benefited um, and changed their own lives right. following this approach. And they are determined that they want to actually raise awareness and reach out and 
Get me to work onto the NHS, talk to the doctors, etc. Um, so, so, so this is like, like a non-profit foundation? Or, a non-profit or foundation okay. that is being set up here in, okay. um, in England at the moment. Okay, so from your perspective, you're UK. doing online, online courses, ongoing training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's for all people that do medical, provide medical care, right? That's chiropractors, physical therapists, physicians. Yeah. Okay. counselors, psychotherapists, and okay. we also actually opened it up to, um, now this is the difficulty, what do you call them, complementary therapists, integrative therapists, alternative therapists, the recognized terms of alternative therapists and complementary therapists, so we opened this up to people who are um, maybe massage therapists, we have some really good practitioners who are massage therapists, um, right. who are, um, do, who do other complementary therapies basically <laughs> Make right. it, I now don't know how to talk about it because these are accepted terms over here so this is what um but we decided initially we were going to train uh counselors psychotherapists doctors physios osteopaths we decided to open that up because there were so many people who, um in alternative therapies who were already ready to take this on board and were keen and so therefore we felt that it was you know, to raise awareness even more if we were included them, which we have done, and we've got some really good practitioners. So, if you know, so I'm an orthopedic surgeon and I want to become SERPA certified, well, how long does the course take? In other words, if, I, if I'm going to do an online course, how long would the training take? Okay, that, well, that's because it's online now, it's uh, individual. People do it to take as long as they want to, but right. the initial, um, there's level one and level two. Level one is an introductory course. And okay. um, so anybody can do that course. It's, I think, no, I should have checked now, shouldn't I? I think it's um, 10, 11 hours of okay. um, work to do. And then you move on to level two. But level two, we will only accept people who have a professional background, who are insured. So they're insured to be working with clients and they have a, um, a professional qualification in okay. healthcare and, and coaching we've taken on coaches as well who do fantastic work as well um and that now she's tested me i tell you what zoe who's um thompson who's surface operations manager would be able to tell you exactly uh how many hours and everything it's something like heading on for 50 hours 50 um, hours or so yeah. okay yeah. so if i was going to be fully serpa certified it'd be 10 or 12 hours on the introductory course and about 50 hours on the secondary yeah. course and then do you have testing afterwards or you did just then, completion of the course? Then we people have a choice. If they would like, they, that we will regard them as SERPA trained at that point. And they're put, listed on our website as SERPA students or SERPA trained. Right. And if they want, they can go on to do certification. We only ask them to do five case studies and have five clinical supervision sessions. We have some clinical supervisors within the SERPA field. Um, right. But that at least shows us that they have experience. We, I then um, evaluate them, go through all the case studies, have a discussion with them, and decide whether we feel that they are suitable to become certain practitioners. So that's a way for them to reach that level if they want to. I'm just thinking out loud here, and I do get requests frequently from Europe about resources, and I realize that I just if I send them if I send them to your website that actually will probably answer a lot of questions as far as resources with this approach. Yes, and the nice thing about going online is that we can, there's so much more you can include in an online course. 
Right. Because and they've got far more than they had when I was running physically because we can, you know, put links to your work, our students' right. work, through to PPDA, all these different resources uh, that we can actually include in, in the training. So there is there's also additional um, resources that they can look into as well. One thing I enjoy about this work, which I each person has their own style. You have your style, I have mine, Howard Schumann has his. Each person that does this has their own style. But every person that I know of that's successful in treating chronic pain, it helps the patient feel safe. Yeah. And also give the patient the tools to take care of themselves. And it's not very hard. Everybody has their different version of how to administer the concepts. But at the end of the day, it comes down sort of to the same approach in a way. So what I'm excited about the whole process is the really deep collaboration that all of us recognize there's a major problem here in the world of treating symptoms as opposed to the root cause. And what I'm committed to years ago is just collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. <clears throat> and that's been one of the fun parts working with people like yourself and Howard and different people is that we all feel pretty desperately urgent that we're hurting people with traditional medical care. And these concepts are not very hard. Hmm. And I don't know about yeah. you, but as how I think we all get driven a bit by seeing the harm being done versus the good that can be done. Yes, definitely. Yes. And I think that's the nice thing is that everybody in this field is so passionate right. about helping people and right. having the, the strong connections internationally, globally, I think is wonderful because we're all able to see what's happening, what we're all doing and help move this movement forward. Right. Only help everybody. So can you um, finish with just one more patient story about a success? Um, yes. Can I talk about um, uh, choose somebody? Sorry, should have brought it okay. before. <laughs> um, okay, so there was um, a lady who uh, actually she spoke at the second conference, I've just realized, a lady who was a school teacher. Okay. And who had one child and had such a traumatic birth that she that triggered then chronic pain afterwards. Right. And then she was putting off having another child because she was so in so much pain and she was scared stiff of actually having more trauma in the, in the when she delivered, and also it um, being just as bad later and recognizing then the pain she was in, she was struggling to look after one child, let alone two. So she was having a lot of support with looking after this um, right. her first child. And so, and she had, she actually had back pain. We don't just work with back pain. It's just happens that this is the one I've actually thought about at the moment. Right. Um, but she also had severe back pain um, and debilitating, wasn't able to work. And by working through this, and like you say, becoming safe, dealing with um the un any unresolved emotions, becoming more aware of how she was feeling and recognizing the ways that she created self-improvement. So really looking at how she could uh, improve her health and well-being move forward, the pain gradually settled down um, and resolved completely. And then she was able to actually have another child. And she, again, I'm still in touch with her off and on and she's still fine and working and do happy children. One thing I think is exciting because this brings up one final point I'd like to make is that once you understand the problem, sometimes just understanding is enough. Yes. Because you yeah. so it, 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 and when you do it on your own, in other words, if you if I'm taught the tools to take care of my pain, I've changed a filter on how I process things. 
with neuroplasticity, your brain keeps changing and changing and changing. It gets better with time, not worse. And people don't go backwards. I mean, once you come out of the hole, I mean, you have lots of ups and downs in life, of course, but your life changes, basically changes and keeps changing because you've changed that filter. Absolutely, yes. And, and that's what's so much fun about this process is that not only is the pain solved, your life keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. So, and, if, and when there are challenges, it's actually when people use those as learning opportunities right. and really understanding this is about a growth mindset, about moving forward. So right. once they recognize that this is not about just, oh my goodness, the pain's come back, um, but I, and going into the fear and their old patterns, and even if they do, to then look, learn from that and look at why that happened. What could they do next time if that happened? And all that is a learning opportunity for them moving forward as they get right. stronger and stronger um, right. in their understanding and ability yeah. to move forward and more resilient. Pretty fun. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It is. So, Andrea, can you, um, so again, can you give us your website, how we access your, access your resources? Yes, it's serpa.org, S for sugar, I-R, P for Peter, A.org. Okay. And again, your book is? Chronic Pain, Your Key to Recovery. Right. And again, Georgie, we're just basically touched the surface of what she actually does. She has got more energy than anybody I know. And it's impressive. <laughs> and I'm so, sure uh, but she, but no, she, I mean, she really, <laughs> she really um, just went out and did what she needed to do is actually take a concept, standardize it, teach it, spread it, treat people. It's just remarkable what she's done. So we really, our world really appreciates what you've done. So thank you very thank much you. for taking the time today. <laughs> thank right. you too. Thanks, David. I'd like to thank our guest, Georgie Oldfield, for being on the show today. And for sharing the work that her organization is doing to train physicians and raise awareness among patients of the self-empowered approach to treating chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.